0: All right, we've got a pitch clock on us, so I want to make sure that we get this done right. How much more time do I have left? Oh, my God, it's running out. They're going to call a strike on us. It's Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. baseball fans, and welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all the Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Look, at there's my lower third. You can call me Sully. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash lockdown today to get started. Uh, today's episode, which is being dropped on the eighth day of of march 2023 we are going to be talking a little bit about the pitch clock why i like it the wbc how can i like it more and the new cores the best teammates lineups groups what teams are gonna have the new cores much like the yankees had in the 90s and the 2000s much like the giants had in the 2010s this is much too big a podcast to do by myself so right over there who do we got
1: it's me, Miller Thomas, host of the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You can follow my personal Twitter account at creator thomas twenty four. You can also follow the show account, Locked On Diamondbacks, both Twitter and Instagram. Just type it in the little search bar, and please hit subscribe as we're closing in on four hundred subscribers on the Locked On Diamondbacks YouTube channel.
0: And you can follow the show here at Locked On MLB Pod. Same handle for Instagram. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. I think I'm on, still on Mastodon. I don't remember. Just type in Sully Baseball. You'll find me. And we are closing in on 1 billion subscribers Woo! on YouTube. We're several hundred million, hundred million off there. Wow. Uh, just like I felt like I was a little off there. And um, Millard. Yes. You're the young one. I'm the handsome one. Uh what now? We're going to try to keep the pace of play of this podcast down a little bit. We're not going to have sure. one of our long marathons, so we're on the clock. Um, we talked a little bit in one of the previous episodes about the pitch clock, but now that we've seen it implemented, we've seen some of the the how you know some of the ups and downs and and it being how it's being done in play, and we're seeing some people go, "What? what I, why was that a strike?" and everything. Uh, we saw Eric Hosmer get called for that, you know, in, a, in an at bat where he was playing games in the in the batter's box. But we're also seeing the games are going by faster. Yeah. We're also seeing the pace of play has improved. We're seeing that people are getting in the box. We're seeing that pitchers are, you know, winding up and throwing, and we're seeing the game move along in, uh, you know, in a in a nice fashion. Some people don't like it. A lot of people who uh, have been accused not like it being accused of being old fogies. I'm an old fogey. I'm over fifty, and I've been resistant to some of the baseball changes. Ghost runner in second is still a travesty. I still don't want a universal DH. I love the pitch clock. Oof. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. And yes, there are kinks to work out. That's why we have spring training. But uh, tell me your thoughts on it and now that we've seen it for a couple of weeks in some spring training games.
1: Oh, I mean, I absolutely love the pitch clock. I love the idea of getting to the action, of course, quicker and more efficiently. Now, maybe we do need to add a few more ticks on the pitch clock because 15 Mm -hmm. seconds can be kind of quick between pitches if there's nobody on. But. What I don't like is the discourse surrounding the pitch clock for anyone that feels like there might be less strategy now in the pre, you know, in the pre-pitch with the batters, whatever they do in their routine to kind of throw off the 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 the, the motion of the pitchers or just the fact that some people think that the batters and pitchers don't have enough time between pitches, and some of that might be true, but I feel like The discourse around the pitch clock, it's almost like we're just discounting baseball players as athletes now. I feel like we don't consider baseball players to be high IQ athletes. Like they can't figure out within 15 seconds what a pitcher should do with the next pitch, what a batter should do, what he should be looking for. Like I feel like because of this pitch clock, now we're assuming these athletes, these cream of the crop athletes they're just not smart enough to figure out what to do in between pitch to pitch and there's not enough time and i feel like i don't like that discourse these are the best baseball players in the world these are the best of the best and i think they are more than adept at learning on the fly and adjusting to these new rules and settings that they have because i feel like too many people are just discounting and saying the pitch clock is bad let's get rid of it because these guys don't have enough time to strategize i'm like these are the best of the best You know what? Sometimes quarterbacks, they don't get the play in on time and they have to take a delay of game. That's going to happen sometimes with these batters and pitchers. Sometimes they're just going to have to take a strike because they weren't able to strategize quick enough. And that's okay. We see it in basketball. If You don't get your shot off in time. You take a buzzer beater violation. Maybe they need to add a few more seconds to the pitch clock. But the idea that these guys can't figure out between 15 and 30 seconds. Either if you're a pitcher, what pitch to throw next? If you're a batter, what you should keen on next? I don't like that surrounding the discourse because I think we're undervaluing how smart these baseball players actually are.
0: Also, I know I'm not supposed to say this. Maybe this will simplify the game a little bit. Maybe this will, you know, I mean, look at, I I think there's, I mean, I think there's been, there's been a revolution of information and everything. I think that's fantastic. But, I mean, the example, I've given this example many times, but I can't think of a better example when overthinking stats has, can come about and overthinking the, the, the information we have was that game I went to in Anaheim where the Angels had two on, uh, the, the Angels of the Mariners, two on, nobody out, sixth inning, uh, Jared Kalenick is up, I mispronounced his name, he was batting like 160 at the time and they took out the pitcher because i'm sure the stats showed that this pitcher warming up was slightly better than the pitcher on the mound but it's a 160 hitter a major league pitcher should be able to get that that's like what a an american league pitcher would be hitting in a in a interleague game two outs nobody on we're going to stop the game Because a piece of analysis showed that this pitcher is slightly better than that. How about you say, hey, get the 160 batter out. We get to move on. Instead, pitcher comes out. New pitcher comes in. They warm up. Guess what? Kalenik made the out. So everyone walks back. Everyone walks in. They warm up. And it's like you ground the game to a halt because of a piece of information you had. Or all the times like, oh, God, this one's coming up. It's in my hat. Uh, let me check what's in the hat. Like, or you you have a you know you trust the catcher to to give them a uh you know give them a, a game plan. I mean, did were were players? Do they used to be smarter, or are we overloading ourselves with information to the point where like, hey, what if you just throw a decent pitch and see what happens?
1: Why I like this. Get,
0: why don't we send them get them where they can ground out to short, see what happens instead of oh wait a minute now that's here and here like sometimes it is yeah sometimes it's a game of chess and sometimes it's a game of connect four you know I mean like it, it doesn't always have to be this massive example well, what do we do here I don't know like you know it was the the I don't know if you know um, you know Stan Musial one of the great players of all time was teammates with Kurt Flood I've been reading way too much about Kurt Flood and his influence on the game and he was played with Stan Musial uh, and he said, "And Stan was just a brilliant hitter, one of the great offensive players of all time." And Kurt Flood asked him, "Well, how, what's your strategy when you're at the plate?" And he says, "When I see a good pitch, I hit the hell out of it."
1: Hmm. Now, what strategy?
0: <laughs> I mean, yes, there's 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 a there's a mid ground. Having all this information, and everything is very helpful to win, but also sometimes throw a pitch, see 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 if you can get him out.
1: No, you know. I love- I I love this take, Sully, because we've talked about a lot in baseball about how sometimes analytics is kind of too overbearing on the game, right? When you go back to that 2020 World Series as we were talking before we got on the mic, when you look at the Tampa Bay Rays taking out Blake Snell when he's cruising, Like, if you're just rolling through the game and you're just going based off like we need to bring back the, the feel of the game, right? Sometimes it gets too analytics and too black and white based. And I think the pitch clock can bring back the feel of the game where it's like, you know what? I'm just feeling my fastball today. I don't even care if this is a fastball count. I'm just going to let it fly because that's the best pitch that I'm feeling today.
0: Or, or do you think it quicker?
1: Yeah. You know, no, it, you're, a, you're it, a big
0: hockey guy. You're a very big hockey guy. How often when they're going up and down and open down the ice, He's say, oh, wait a second, hold on. Does everyone slow down a second? Now, granted, it's a different sport, but you still have strategy and everything like that to deal with on, on those things. We're talking about the pace of play. The pace of play, and I can't stress this enough, pace of play and length of game are not the same thing. They're not synonymous. It's the It's the amount of action that's taking place on the game. When the catcher comes running up to say, now remember him, you do this, you do this, you do this for every damn batter. How about giving the pitcher a little bit of credit saying my stuff can get them out. I I am not anti-analytics. I just fervently believe that every single analytical addition to the game in the last generation or so has slowed the game down. What analytical... Uh, trend has added to the pace of the game I, I, if i'm wrong send me a tweet at sully baseball working the counts uh focusing only on the three true outcomes not caring about strikeouts you know focusing on the home runs or the walks taking away the running game going station to station you know uh, you know making sure that you're 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 running the pitch count up lots of pitching changes throughout the game i mean every one of those things while analytically accurate slows the game down
1: mm mm-hmm. mhm and listen, these guys still have scouting reports. The pitchers and batters both have scouting reports. So when a pitcher's on the mound and he sees Jose Abreu coming up to the batter's box or whatever, he's like, all right, I have to keep it away from the middle of the strike zone. I have to keep it, keep it low because that's his hot zone. And also, you're going to know, if I'm a pitcher. If I get in my one-two count... I know what my put-away pitch is. I already know what my go-to pitch is going to be when I have two strikes on the call. So I'm going to look at the tendencies of a batter. And I'm going to know what my go-to pitch is. I'm still going to execute my game plan. Same thing with the batters. They are going to go up to the batter's box and they're going to say, okay, when it's a 2-0 count. I know this guy likes to throw a fastball in that situation. I'm just going to be waiting on it. You're still going to have scouting reports where these guys have pre-information going up to the batter's box when they're on the mound getting ready to, to pitch the ball. And so it's like, yeah, maybe pitch... Between each pitch, you have to speed up your process a little bit quicker of what you're going to know. But these guys have general game plans going into each at-bat of what they want to do. So it's not like they're just going up there with no thinking out the no. blue of, oh, I don't know what I'm going to pitch or what I'm going to hit today.
0: And have the best and, – and use the best information you have. But guess what, folks? Get in there. You know, uh, Do your homework during between innings. There's a, there's a universal DH. Do so you have time to go through it? You know, that's why you have a pitching coach. Sit down. When this guy comes up, you do this. If he's someone on base, you do that.
1: Yeah. Have you been to a game for spring training yet? Ever? Son? No. Yeah, ever. Have you ever been to Have you been to a game this year with the pitch clock yet?
0: No, I have not. No, I've not flown to Arizona nor Florida yet. Uh, oh,
1: okay. That's. <laughs> I mean, you should come visit. You know, your uh, boy maybe, out here in Arizona. I'll, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll visit my boy out there. But yeah, you know, but I mean, went.
1: To, I was just gonna say, I went to a game last Saturday. You don't even realize the pitch clock. Like somehow, my spring training game still lasted three hours. But it's not even something that you're aware of. I don't think there was any violations. And like pitch to pitch, you're not thinking, "Oh my God, he got that pitch in within 15 seconds." I was so fast. Like you're just casually talking, and then the yeah. action is just going. It's not even something that you're thinking about when you're sitting at a baseball game.
0: Yeah, but you know what? It's just a surefire bet that people will be enjoying watching some of these games move along a little faster. And by the way, if you're going to be making any bets, which, where should you be going? FanDuel. FanDuel, covering up the names. Um, It's the midway point of the NBA season. Now's the perfect time to download FanDuel. America's number one sportsbook because customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. And Mm. download the FanDuel sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. A lot easier than this copy. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat for up to $1,000 bonus bets you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Go there to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an efficient sports betting partner of the NBA. Boom. Never did a read smoother than that one. Hey, um... Hey... Let's uh, okay. Enough of enough of pitch clock. Um, let's talk a little bit. So you brought something up earlier. You want to talk a little bit about the cores, yeah. not cores field. Not, not cores is not a sponsor yet. We're talking about when the Yankees had their beloved core four, which was basically Posada, Jeter, Pettit, and and Rivera. Which, by the way, I thought was really disrespectful to Bernie Williams. So to be left out of the core, because I felt in many ways, at least early on in the Yankees championship run, Bernie Williams was the MVP of that team. But I digress. Um, that combination played on all those World Series winners, although Posada wasn't on the 96 roster. So I kind of, you know, but fine, fine. He did, he did He did a nice job. But that was a core they had over a bunch of years, won several championships with them. At the beginning of the 2010s, you saw a tremendous core in San Francisco with Bumgarner and Lincecum and Posey and Sandoval and uh, you know Matt Kane, And you had a bullpen that stayed together a tremendous amount of time. We had a bullpen with the likes of Romo and Santiago and Affelt and Javier Lopez were all together there. Brian Wilson, one year doing this. Marco Scudero doing that. So you're taking a look at who are the teams right now that are building together a core. And you had kind of like a a ranking of some of those. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on those.
1: Love power ranking stuff at the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. And we only did lineups too. So we looked at core four for your lineups because I believe to have like a real playoff lineup, you need four dudes in there who you trust. Of course, some lineups are deeper. You might have six, seven dudes, but I think you need at least four guys you can trust to go up there and produce at the plate. So I always think, these power rankings are more fun when you start at the top and work your way backwards. Do a little reverse pyramid. So, Sully, I'm gonna throw out my power ranking to you, and then you could just kind of give me your thoughts on. Can, whether... can I tell
0: you what? Can I tell you what my top one would be? Okay. I wonder if it's the same as yours.
1: Okay, we could go go back and forth here. Let's well, see. no, I
0: mean because I I think you've done more homework on this than me. <laughs> okay. So I'll just tell you my top one. Let's see. I have ideas can. for some of the women, but to me, there there is a clear top one, especially with their off season they had last year. Mm. And that's the defending champs. I would have cool. the Astros at the top for me. Adding Abreu to the young star of Jeremy Pena, uh, World Series and playoff hero Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman turns things around. You know, you, you Abreu is there with Altuve. Um, if Brantley is at all healthy, I mean, I just think that this, you know, the, the Kyle Tucker... I mean, Tucker would be a star on many teams, the star of many teams, and you take a look at this team, the lineup that they have. You know, there's no rest for the weary, especially if you have a motivated Jose Abreu in the middle of this lineup. And I think it's important if you're trying to defend the title to add that kind of new piece to the puzzle, to sort of give it new, you know, give it a fun spark. Um, I, I really think that uh, the the defending World Series champion Astros. Have the best lineup, the best core, Um, and we're, we're not even talking about the pitching staff. But they're developing, I think, one of the strongest rotations. Uh, and the fact that they've already have back-to-back pennants, a World Series title, and inevitably will win another pennant in the next few years—if not this year—I think they're the strongest core that we have in all of baseball.
1: I don't hate that at all. The Astros are on my list, but they're not my number one. It's because. Ooh, okay. It's Only because we had to limit it to four people. If it was the core six, then I think the Astros are number one because they by far have the deepest lineup. And they were they were the toughest team to just limit it to four people, because I was like, right, fourth well, person could be like three different options. Well, that's, that's why
0: that's why I think that that's why that's why I put them at the top.
1: But okay, that's fair. But but we, if I'm just we, taking the top four from each team, fair, then I fair think enough. they're a little bit lower on my list. But if I had to go five or six, then the Astros are clearly the best lineup, fair so I don't hate it at all that you have the number one. But mm-hmm. to me, I thought the clear number one core in all of baseball for the core four was the team in my division that just built it this season the last couple of seasons the rockies yeah the colorado rockies with chris bryant and unfortunately they lost brendan rogers for potentially the season but i digress it's actually the san diego padres just because you're gonna have manny machado <clears throat> excuse me, he was top five in MVP voting last year. Tatis, who I think has already won the MVP in 2021 or 2022. Soto is going to win the MVP probably one of these next few years. And then Bogarts, he's just your casual. He's going to be a 12-time All-Star when he retires in the Hall of Famer. So I just think that's the best core. Of course, the Astros core is a beast, too, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. But I think just on paper, in terms of the peak ceiling of talent of your top four players, I think Padres are number one.
0: I, I totally get that. I absolutely, totally get that. And, and maybe I'm adding a little narrative to this, the fact that this core in Houston is also of the swagger of the defending champs. Yeah. I mean, the two, think of the two teams that we, we mentioned, the, the Yankees of the 90s and 2000s and the San Francisco Giants of the 2010s. One of the things that made those cores so strong were the multiple titles that this group won. Um, I'm not, Even if we say, OK, we're going to men in black the 2017 championship and the 2019 pennant out of it, we're only focusing on the Dusty Baker years. They're already putting down the foundation for a dynasty of this decade. And so the fact that they've the, everyone I mentioned there, with the exception of Jose Abreu, has been a World Series hero so far. That was that was the only thing for pure star power. Yeah, I think that you know this is one of the best collection of stars since we saw LeBron show up in Miami.
1: Okay, look a little basketball reference. I'm right, sorry,
0: I'm not that dumb, but uh, you know, so I that's the only reason I put the the Astros a little bit ahead of San Diego. San Diego to me is a strong two, and I think. I think you could certainly make the case it's a one. I think I could make the case that Houston's a one. But I think that those are the two that are, that are up there. I, I wonder if – I have a number three. I wonder if it's the same number three as you.
1: Well, Di, I don't think I've told you my number two yet, but it is. The oh, Houston. OK. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> it is. the I Houston just, Astros. I just assumed it was the Astros. <laughs> yeah. It's just tough to figure out who you want to put in that fourth spot because I have Jose Abreu written down as the fourth best player. But you could put Alex Bregman. You could put the rookie phenom, Jeremy Pena. Like, mm-hmm. they're so deep at that number four spot. They have the deepest lineup in baseball. It's very tough to figure out a core four for them because they're so deep. But who's your number three team? Someone? Um.
0: well, See, my number three team is completely dependent on one of their top prospects. So I'm kind of cheating a little bit, <laughs> Okay, but the fact, any team that has number one and two in the MVP vote with Goldschmidt and Arenado, oh. and then you still have, um, you know, Edmonds is a fine player. They brought in Wilson Contreras. You got good players like, you know, like, if if Jordan Walker can turn into the player that we think he can be, mm. then those first two of the core are so good that you can fill in. Is it going to be Lars Newt bar? It better be. and They better have a candy bar named after him right away or Tyler O'Neill or Brendan Donovan. It's all these wonderful players they have on, on St. Lou. I just have a hard time ignoring which one of those two players should win the MVP uh, that, to me, is the foundation of that. And so I'm cheating a little bit there. And I put them ahead, slightly ahead of the team that probably should be number three. But I just did that because I, I, I when you have two MVP candidates, you can lower the bar for the other two members of the Corps. Uh, maybe I'm cheating there. I use too many for the Astros and too few for the for the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, the Cardinals, I have them down as an honorable mention. I wrote them down. But my problem is, listen, like you said, Arenado and Goldie, one and two in your MVP voting, is elite for a core four. But it's that three, four spot where I'm like, the talent there in that three, four spot, it's just not as much as these other teams in their three, four spot. Fair so enough. That's why Fair I just enough. got them down as my honorable mention because my number three team, Sully, is actually the team that was in the World Series and lost to the Houston. Ooh, okay. And this one you could guess could be considered cheating too because Bryce Harper is going to potentially miss half the season with like Tommy John surgery, right? But If he's healthy, he's in the core with the newly signed Trey Turner, who's also an MVP candidate. you got the home run leader, Kyle Schwarber, and then maybe the best offensive catcher in baseball in JT Realmuto. I just love the versatility when you have those four guys. Bryce Harper could carry your team. Trey Turner's a speed monster. He's added power. Kyle Schwarber is just a straight-up power monster. Then J. Realmuto is just doing work behind the plate. I like those four as my third best lineup in all of baseball do you have a fourth
0: song uh, well by the way i think that i i honestly think that harper missing the first half of the season is going to have a positive effect in a way not that you ever want to remove someone like bryce harper from your lineup but i have a feeling that he's going to come back at full strength in the second half and be a boost to the team and um and and it's like it will be like making a trade. So if they could if they could stay within contention, you know, for the first half of the season, and then insert a Bryce Harper into the lineup, um, I I think that I think the Phillies are going to do fine this year. Um, I like Toronto hmm. because I think a lot of players in Toronto uh, had years last year that didn't quite match what we thought the back of their baseball card was going to be but you still have Vladdy Guerrero. You still have Matt Chapman. You still have, you know, George Springer. Who's in the last one to be? Is it going to be Dalton Varsho? Oh, yeah, it's
1: going to be Varsho. Yeah,
0: I mean, so, I mean, you have, you have, um, you know, an Alejandro Kirk is a good player on there. Could be Bo Bichette. I mean, you have a ton of players there with potential MVP talent, and they were only they were only okay last year. And yet, they still made the playoffs. (laughs) They still hosted the wild card series, despite being only okay. Um, To the point where they had to fire the manager and they didn't really have that MVP that they thought they were going to have. If some of those players play closer to what we're expecting, then I think that's a phenomenal core.
1: You know what, Sully? I have them as my number four team as well. Maybe we'll be lock and step these last two spots because – I still would have loved if they had Teoscar Hernandez in that lineup. I think he yeah. would have rounded out my top four. I probably would have bumped Dalton Varsho for Teoscar Hernandez. But let's not undervalue Dalton Varsho what he can do for the Blue Jays, because he's not only going to bring 25 home run potential and 25 stolen base potential. By the metrics, Dalton Varsho was like by far and away the best defensive outfielder in all of baseball last season. So to add that to that mix with Kevin Kiermaier, the the Blue Jays outfield defensively is going to be stout. Vlad Guerrero Jr. I think is going to have a huge season this year. Bo Bichette is going to have a huge season as well. And then I also had George Springer. If he can stay healthy, he was an all-star last season. Wasn't exactly the peak George Springer that we've seen in the past, but he's still someone that's not old at all, still in his early 30s. So I still think he's in his prime as well. So I'm going to have the Blue Jays as my number four core. I think they're going to make real noise in the American League. I think in the AL East too, it's going to be between them and the Yankees fighting for that division. And mm-hmm. listen, they added Chris Bassett to that rotation as well this year. So the Blue Jays are in it to win it this season. But do you have a number five team, Sully? Before I give you mine,
0: well, it's funny that like you brought up the Yankees, who have mm-hmm. the MVP, um, and Judge, yeah, um, and they have players like you know you had a you had a down year from DJ LeMahieu, who a few years ago was a legitimate All Star. And you had a strange season from Giancarlo Stanton. Um, if you know, if Stanton and Judge are playing up to their caliber, then that's the second best one-two punch in baseball behind uh, Goldschmidt and Arenado.
1: Otani um, Trump.
0: But okay, you know, we came and Trout. We're talking not a drop. We're talking like a, a, a cliff. Yeah, you fall a three, a, four, a waterfall. The beginning of the mission. Hey, anyone who got that reference? Um, but uh, I know, I know that would that one was obscure for even me. Um, I'll explain it later. Um, uh, hashtag Sully mission. If any of you want, uh, got that reference? But um, the uh uh the Yankees can't rely on any of their other players other than judge to be of an all-star caliber Rizzo could LeMahieu could Stanton could even Donaldson could one of the one of the the young kids that I forget all the names of the young kids at shortstop
1: well I was gonna say yeah how about Gleyber Torres the man who who you would have thought he would have been the core four guy if this was like a two year ago you
0: know and so it's funny like there's all those players that would, I just rattled off could have really terrific seasons along with Judge. I just don't think anyone can count on that, which I think is one of the strange paradoxes with this Yankee team whose pitching staff I actually like love a it. lot. I love it. And I don't, I, I don't trust their lineup. Their lineup could score eight runs, or we all saw they could get shut out. And so it's strange that you have a team... With all the resources and that centerpiece. Um, there you go. By the way, the Red Sox should have a core of Betts, Bogarts, <laughs> Devers, and Ben uh, And Ben Attendee. That should be there's your core right there. But uh, you know, dare Sadness. I dream that's not gonna happen.
1: Maybe J D um, at least. That yeah,
0: be. King G D. And Los Angeles. I mean, they have betts. They have uh Freddie Freeman, mm-hmm. you know, they have you know, I'm still confused with why Trey Turner is no longer there. They don't have Gavin Lux anymore. Um, You know, that, that court really, I mean, they have a bunch of really talented young players who a couple of them could explode in a superstardom this year, but, or maybe not. You know, Atlanta has, I think, if you know, whatever version of Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Olson you get this year is a great foundation for a core. And I, I think people are still sleeping on Atlanta. Uh, I think they're a wonderful team. The Mets obviously have some tremendous players on their club as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, the Yankees are the team that make me scratch my head the most because they have. A player who's just this monster, this Frankenstein monster in the middle of their lineup, and a bunch of people who could really be great, And but look me in the eye and say you're positive that they're going to be great, and you can't.
1: Yeah, and someone like Anthony Rizzo feels like he's like 36 years old, even though he's only 32 years old. Like, this is someone that should still be in the prime of his career. He's coming off a solid season. We have 32 home runs, 800 plus OPS, but you still don't expect all-star level Anthony Rizzo anymore, even though he's still somewhat in the prime of his career. I think Labor Torres is probably the swing player in that lineup because he's still someone that's, like, 27, 28 years old. He still hit 24 home runs last season. Like, he still has the upside to be a monster power guy in the middle of that lineup. And we saw him be, like... Won the most premier offensive shortstops in all of baseball back in, what, 2019, 2020. And I don't know what has happened to that guy since then. So hopefully he can get back to that for him. But you just mentioned a whole bunch of teams. Before I get to my number five team, let me give you some honorable mentions here because you mentioned the Dodgers. Had Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith. And then it was kind of tough to figure out that number four spot in the Dodgers lineup like would it be Max Muncie, who's coming off a bad season would it be JD Martinez who's coming off a down season like it's kind of tough to figure out who's the fourth best player in the Dodgers lineup Chris Taylor maybe but he didn't have a great season either um another honorable mention we didn't mention the New York Mets I thought they had they were probably the closest team I had to putting them down as the number five team with the Pete Alonso's Lindor's the Brandon Nimmo's and the Starling Marte's. are really really good core for it but the team that you just mentioned I think is my number five team when I look at all the core fours in baseball, the Atlanta Braves with Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Acuna, and Michael Harris, because Acuna and Austin Riley are good enough to do what the Cardinals did. We could have two guys finish in the top five of MVP voting and then. They're my number five team because I really believe in their rookies last season. Michael Harris is one of those guys. and I think he could be in for just a monster season this year where he has, you know, 15 to 20 home runs and then 20 to 30 stolen bases and bats 850 OPS with 290 average and just plays stellar defense in the outfield. And I think he could be the swing piece in that team. And maybe even maybe you even get to a place where you're like, is Michael Harris? Better than Ronald Acuna, I don't know. That might be too blasphemous to say, but I think they're loaded with talent. In that Lineup, they're loaded in the rotation. I think the Braves are going to be in the mix for the World Series once again. I think they have the fifth best core for right now, and we know they added Sean Murphy, which I'm yeah not on high. I'm not as high on that move as other people are, but he's still a very good catcher, and that was a nice addition to that lineup.
0: Uh, I I totally agree. I think about the core that could have been um, with the Braves. Leaving the White Sox, you could have had a core with Abreu, Tim Anderson, and if Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez had reached that potential, or Moncada, all those players that we all fought yeah. were on the verge of superstardom. And you, you know, it looked like they were having those, the, the top two right there. Anderson, uh, you know, Abreu was the big slugger in the middle of it. Anderson was the kind of the leader on the field. And if one of those, if those two other players who, you know, both had, were not bad last year, but they they never exploded into the players and Mokata were like, How many years are we waiting for him to turn the corner? Yeah. You know, that whites that's one of the things for my many friends who are White Sox fans, and check out Nick Moroski on Locked on White Sox. He's a great show there. Um and for the White Sox fans that I've been talking to over this year, that's the thing that makes them most frustrated about the fact that they didn't cut the cord with Tony LaRussa fast enough, you know, because he clearly wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And they kind of looked at what they what happened with the Phillies, who fired their high-profile World Series winning manager early enough to turn the season around. Could this White Sox team that was still in contention going into the final month of the season, if things had been a little different, if those players had turned? And now, you know, Anderson's still there. Andrew Vaughn is still a fine player. You know, maybe Ro- Robert and Jimenez and Makata can become... An interesting core in the South side. But when you lose that Jenga piece of Jose Abreu, that's just, that's just rough to deal with.
1: Yeah. I think everyone's off the White Sox bandwagon this year. Oh, I am. I am
0: absolutely. But I'm, you know, but the thing, and the other thing that's so frustrating is that that's a winnable division. Yeah. I mean, yes, Cleveland won 90 something games last year and ran away with it in the final month, but they're only up by one game and they're going into Labor Day. And it's not like they're—I mean—they're I mean, they're a low-budget team, and Minnesota finished with a losing record. You know, if the White Sox had their act together, they—they they could be talking about like this would be like four straight trips to the postseason this year, and maybe this is the year where everything falls into place. Instead, they're going back into rebuilding mode with a new manager and blah 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 blah. And for White Sox fans, it's agony because they had—they look like they're putting together something really terrific. And they wasted the Dylan C. season that he had last year because Dylan C. had a phenomenal season for the yeah. White Sox last year, and that was just that. That just was. They were handed an ace season. They were handed a Cy Young contender, and it just didn't work. And um, you know, I, I I feel badly for White Sox fans because things were really looking up for them in the COVID year, and when they won the division in 2021.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't even all on Tony Larusa. Like no one thought he was a it good enough of it was. It <laughs> I love it was. was, but also it's hard to win games if your best players just aren't on the field. Tim Anderson is perpetually hurt. Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez were petru- perpetually hurt. Lu- Lucas Giolito had like a pretty down season by his standards. Like it was pretty much Dylan Cease, the only guy living up to expectations. Like Jose Abreu was still a contact machine, but his power like fell off um considerably last year. So it's like. It was a whole combination of things that led to really poor expectations for the White Sox.
0: The Braves won the World Series with an outfield they didn't have start going into July you know I mean <laughs> yeah. they, you could you could you could win every team has injuries every team has injuries you know there's always someone in the World Series sitting on the sidelines going, oh if only he was in you know I don't know I don't know but do you know what we're not riddled with injuries to the point where I'm going to say, hey we did a good show today.
1: Oh no, no WBC talk. Well, well do you want? Know <laughs>
0: let's, let's tease that for our next time because uh, uh, we'll talk about the WBC. <laughs> maybe we'll have some stuff to talk about there. Yeah. Um, we both have some definite thoughts on that, and maybe we'll see a little who's gone further in there. And we'll and by the way, um, send me your tweets at Sully Baseball and Ooh. let me know your thoughts about the WBC. Whether you're following it, whether you're really into it whether it's a curiosity, whether you just can't wait for the regular season. Um, I don't want this to be a WBC bashing podcast, but I also don't want it to be a WBC love fest. I want to know what you're all thinking about it. And uh, send, send that to me at Sully Baseball, your thoughts, and Millard and I will talk about when we get when we reconvene after this weekend. Uh, hey, uh, by the way, um, uh, just a warning, just a warning. For those of you who don't like when I bring up things that have nothing to do with baseball, when we get together on Monday, I am going to be talking a little bit about the Oscars. <laughs> Kyle okay. Sully's obsessed with the Oscars, and there have been some very good movies this year, and a couple of them made me scratch my head. Uh, I really, really, really hope Kei Hui Kwan, aka the kid who plays short round wins the Oscar because he was great in everything everywhere all at once.
1: Yeah, and there were
0: some very there were some very good movies this year. I don't think there's been a classic movie this year, but there have been some good movies. And sometimes that's all you want. But there's always been good podcasts when I'm here with Miller. And by the way, thanks so much for making Locked On MLB, or Locked On Diamondbacks for that matter, your first listen for your second listen. Check out Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Win your league by listening to Matt and Dom every day as they bring you the best fantasy draft strategy. Find Locked On Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network where it is your team every day. Miller Thomas, tell people whether you can listen to your show.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at CareerThomas24 for my personal account. Look up Locked on Dimebacks on Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And you could just listen to Locked on Dimebacks wherever you stream podcasts. And we're on YouTube, Locked on Dimebacks, on there as well. And everything, everywhere, all at once. Better sweep the awards for the Oscars. That's all it's, I'm saying.
0: I, 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 ho- I don't know if it's going to sweep it. I think it's going to win a couple of big ones. I hope Michelle Yeoh wins. No offense to Kate Blanchett, who's great, but she already has two Oscars and uh, uh i hope kway kwan wins although there are some brendan gleason was great in the banshees of insurance there were some good performances here too i digress um follow us at lockdown mlb pods on twitter and instagram i'm your pal sully i'm at sully baseball on twitter sully baseball podcast on instagram breaking down the cores and look at the timer going down we can't go over time here this has been locked on mlb Locked on diamondbacks crossover for the eighth day of march 2023 he's Miller Thomas. I'm your pal, Sully. Let's fish pump and win ourselves an Oscar.